Hello and welcome to the Endurance Coach Podcast. My name is Mark Laithwaite and I'm here today with my co-hosts, ultra runner and sports psychologist, Dr. Ian Bordley, and also with sports injury specialist, Mike James, aka the Endurance Physio. Each week, we'll be telling you what's new in the world of endurance sports. We're going to have some amazing guests on the show and we'll be discussing how you can reach your true potential on race day. So sit back and relax. We hope you enjoy the show. Well, good morning, boys. Um, we're back for yet another podcast, and this week we're going to be specialising. We're going to be talking about the upcoming Lakeland Hundred um, and top tips for the final week and your preparation and training and race day strategy and all those kind of things. But I guess, of course, it would be relevant for um, for any ultra, not just for Lakeland Hundred. But um, First of all, welcome to the show, Mike James, as always. But we should have a proper welcome for uh, Professor Professor Ian Bordley. Welcome to the show, gents. Are you both well? I'm indeed. Good morning. Yeah, morning, Mark. Morning, Mike. Very well, thanks. You all right, Prof? Yeah. Are you, um, uh, do you feel any different, Ian, this morning? Uh, not a lot different. Um, I did manage to resist when I was preparing my tweets of the week, including the tweet where I mentioned that I was now Professor. But yeah. I thought we might have to change this segment now to Tweed of the Week because you're obviously going to be coming in in some old academic clothing, but you're not. You're there in your running kit. Yeah. No, I had to put my Lakeland 100 top on given the topic, or well, one of my Lakeland tops. I thought you might have like wild hair. Do you know what I mean? Like, um, you know, from what's his name from, uh, like, Doc from Back to the Future. That's what all profs are like, aren't they? Just any hair would be good, wouldn't it? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, what's the weather like where you are? A bit, bit cloudy here in, in Birmingham. It's uh, certainly cooler than it was earlier in the week. Yeah. Yeah. Mike? Yeah, we've got thunderstorms inbound. So we've got that really humid, muggy sort of waiting for the storm clouds to arrive right now. Absolutely pouring down here. It's been miserable grey, raining all morning. Must be Lakeland weekend, obviously. Although I don't think the forecast is too bad for next weekend. I think it's just showing kind of overcast a bit, you know, no rain. So we should be, we should be good. We should be good. Um, okay, well, I mean, as per tradition, I guess we should start with tweets of the week, shouldn't we? Um, and for those that don't know what Tweets of the Week is, Tweets of the Week is our um, our little game that we like to play where you've got to recap your last three tweets. You've got to do it without looking at a clock and you've got to try and hit it bang on one minute. should mention that I was victorious the last time we did this. And I will, of course, mention every single time we do a podcast in future that I was victorious on that one occasion because it will be the only occasion I will be victorious. Mike, you're a bit of a fine-tuned expert at this, really. I mean, overall, I would say you've got to be leading, haven't you? Because you're... You know, you've had the most victories, I would say, from the three of us. Well, I think um, in uh, in true Tour de France style, I was happy to throw a stage last room, last time to to harp on about Wales getting to the World Cup, but um, but I'm back and I'm going for it, heads on. Right, uh, uh, Ian, have you got a stopwatch handy? I have, yeah. All set. Okay, so I'm I'm going to leave you in the hands of the starter uh, whenever you're ready, Ian. You can uh, give the instructions. Okay, Mark, I'll count you down. Three, two, one, go. Brilliant. So my first tweet is actually a series of tweets. Um, Tour de France is on. I'm gripped to that for, for three weeks every year. And something that pops up year on year, obviously, we've got Geraint Thomas, who on Twitter is Geraint Thomas 86 But there's a Geraint Thomas, who has nothing to do with cycling, gets tagged in everything by layman, gets tagged in by the pros. Even Pogacar has been tagging him in it. And some of his responses are hilarious. It's really worth looking at. 
Um, I shared a tweet this week about the dreaded off-season. It's the fear for most of the endurance world. There's a little short video and, or a long thread, sorry, for people if they wanted to go and read that of some thoughts about to reframe it as a positive for performance in the future rather than short-term pain. And then the final one was just about pre-cooling. I've had lots of people messaging me about things to do prior to running and stuff in this heat. Let's get the right stuff first about choosing your routes and your clothing and the time of day, putting the horse um, and cart the wrong way around a little there. That's me. Okay, should we move on with the main show now then, Mark? Should we not bother doing it? Um, so, yeah. the time was 1.03. 1.03? Yeah. He's, he's cheating again, and he's got to stop watching. Yeah, the, the door's open there. Left a little little bit of daylight there for you. Three seconds, brilliant. Um, <laughs> six seconds, because if you go 57, you win by, by not going over. Fair point, fair point. Um, uh, uh, Mike, are you ready? Uh, Ian, uh, sorry, uh, yeah. Ian, are you ready? Mike, are you going to do the timing? Yeah, hang on. Yeah, okay, cool. Ready? Three, two, one, go. Okay, the first one of mine was a tweet by someone called Professor Feynman, and he was talking about science. And I thought this was quite appropriate for um, but uh, endurance sport as well. He said, if you don't make mistakes, you're doing it wrong. If you don't correct those mistakes, you're doing it really wrong. And if you can't accept that you're mistaken, you're not doing it at all. I thought that was quite appropriate. Um, and talking of appropriate, my second one um, relates to the weather we had earlier in the week. So this was by Sylvain Perdigon, who said in 2014, a French weather presenter presented a weather forecast for 2050, talking about the reality of climate change. Unfortunately, it came true in mid-June 2022. Uh, and that was the in mid-40s in France. Um, so we've got to experience ourselves this week. Uh, and then the last one uh, was uh, relating to, I guess, what we're talking about today in some ways. Um, it was one of the Belgian neopros that voiced concerns about the overuse of uh, medication in the peloton. We're talking about, and he, he was quoted as saying, why would you take two and a half grams of paracetamol uh, in the final uh, of a race? And I think that you know, the misuse of medication is something we often talk about when we're talking about um, ultra endurance events. That's it. Cool. So there was a, a bit of daylight in the door, but Ian decided to pull instead of push, and he came in in one twenty point eight. Not good. Not good. But I've got a chance of second place, haven't I? Still got a chance of winning. Still got a chance of winning. Um, what What was the bit about the um, climate change? Uh, so, so in 2014, a French weather presenter announced the forecast for August 18, 2050, um, part of a campaign to alert people to the reality of climate change. Uh, yeah. And just saying that if you know things don't change in terms of climate change, we could be hitting like 42, 43 in southern uh, France uh, in uh, in 2050. But in mid June this year, um, they actually had that forecast. So like. 28 years ahead of where they were saying it was going to be only like eight years ago yeah it's it's fascinating you know those i saw some stuff on on twitter some friends had retweeted some stuff from i think from nasa and doing climate change projections and all that kind of stuff and it's and when you look at it it's absolutely terrifying but you feel very helpless because you just think what where do you even start how could you even how do you even start to change this how can you make an impact to change this it's, it's got to be done at government level, hasn't it? And uh, because it, you can't leave it down to individuals, and obviously some individuals and people do try and take personal responsibility and change the behaviours, but very, you know the evidence is showing that at an individual level those impacts are minute. And yeah, uh, obviously, yeah, I'm not suggesting people shouldn't do that, but it, there needs to be much more leadership from a government level. And the way politics works, we're not set up for that. I'm, I'm quite. Um, concerned, if I'm honest, but don't want to be too negative. It's not really the focus of our podcast, but um, yeah, mm, yeah, worry me. And you can uh, you can of course lobby your own government, but you can't lobby the governments from other countries, can you? And that's, yeah. uh, that's the bigger task, you know, getting the world on board, isn't it? But yeah, some of the stuff, and you just think it's quite terrifying, and you seem to be rolling forwards, kind of a, uh, you know, helplessly really towards mm. this uh, towards this climate disaster, but. 
Yeah. All the, all the predictions so far, have, uh, they've turned out worse than what people predicted, and the predictions aren't good. So. Yeah. 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 Wow. Okay, what am I on? I'm tweets. Uh, what, uh, who's timing me? Yeah, wow. I've got you. I've got you. Ready? I'm ready. Three. I'm ready. Three, two, one, go. Okay, so my first one is uh, we're, we're up to in our day. Day 12 of the virtual. Day 12 of the Lakeland virtual. Obviously, we're one week from Coniston. And we decided to do the virtual this year to raise money for a charity called Baby Basics, who help low-income families, refugee families, and lots of people with basics for their babies. And uh, the virtual has raised £14,000 for Baby Basics. So thank you to all those that took part. And you should have a look at Baby Basics as well, because they're a fantastic charity. My second tweet was just one about that this misconception that unless training has structure, it's no good at all. And uh, more importantly, if it doesn't have structure, it's a way. It, it, so if the training has structure, unless it has structure, it's no good at all. And if it doesn't have structure, then it's a waste of time. And I think a lot of people would probably just benefit from just getting out and swimming and cycling and running a bit more and trying to enjoy the environment. And then my final tweet uh, is just the uh, open water swimming that we've been doing down at Three Sisters. We've been having a fantastic time on a Saturday morning. We started a children's session and that's probably the best thing that we've ever done. And the one thing we're getting the most enjoyment out of at the moment is taking a lot of eight year olds open water swimming. That's me done. Nice. What well, did you fancy? You fancied silver medal, didn't you? I, I have no idea, to be honest. Yeah, yeah. I was losing track then completely. One minute, 10 seconds flat. Ooh. Oh. It's all right, that. Yeah, cool. What sort of um, so, what sort of sessions are you doing with them with the eight year olds? If I hadn't stuttered, then I would have been all right in the middle, wouldn't I? Mm. You know, I just I stumbled a bit about the structure, non-structure bit, and had to repeat myself. That would have been probably bang on a minute. Um, yeah, so we we, we swam on a Wednesday and a Saturday to this water ski club in Wigan. It's a really really nice place to swim. Really nice, nice clear water. But in, um, a lot of the lake you can stand up as well, so it's, so it's, it's great for novices. But we, we wanted to do a, a kids' session down there. So we started doing triathlon sessions for kids. So they'll swim. We, we, we basically lane off. We, we've got some those kind of old-style swim lane ropes, and we made a little pool in the lake, um, and we keep them within this little pool area. And they would do they swim open water, and then they get out, and we've got all the racing bikes set up on turbo trainers, and they'll jump on the turbos, do some cycling, and then they jump off the bike and then they run down the side of the lake and there's a cone down the footpath and they have to run around the cone and back. So we're doing triathlon training. And then we thought we'd do like that kind of swim run stuff or swim adventure. So the lake's pretty big. So we'll swim them up the lake and they'll climb out and they'll maybe run along the footpath for a little bit. And then they get back in at another point in the lake and then we swim them across to the other side. And then they get out and they run down the lake. And then more recently, we're doing some swim adventures where we basically just keep them as a pod. and We swim them together. They've all got wetsuits and swim floats on, so they're safe. But they're like in 45 minutes. We've been, probably been covering like half a mile in the water. And that's like a lot of them just holding the floats and kicking or doing a bit of, it's not as much about te teaching front crawl, just more about getting out there and having a bit of an adventure, really. So there's a couple of islands and they can climb on the islands and, you know, explore the islands. And we're hiding things on the islands for them as well. Um, and it's been great. Yeah, so we have like two 45-minute sessions. And the kids just, when the water's warm, the kids love it. Because it's just like a big, you know, big adventure for them. So, so that's been really, really good. They've been popular on a Saturday morning. So yeah, so I'm loving those at the moment. It's great for confidence in the water, isn't it? Yeah, that's all it is. To be honest, more confidence and safety. Like I said, we're not trying to teach them perfect front crawl by any means. We're just we're just having a bit of fun and getting them in open water, and you know, and it's a very stereotypical thing to say, but that's just one of the things that kids are probably lacking these days, isn't it? When 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 we were young, we were down there like just jumping off jetties into lakes and all that kind of stuff, and they don't do as much of that now, so so that's the idea, really, just to get them, bit, get them into that really a little bit more. Mm, brilliant. Mm, so this week's hot topic, then, where are we on to? Lakeland, Lakeland hundred, next next week, and Ian is on for his tenth finish of the hundred. Are you feeling confident, Ian? Yeah, trend is going well. <clears throat> yeah, probably. Uh... I'm much more focused on volume this year than last year, and yeah, that's gone really well. But still enough work in the mountains to sort of get the, the mountain legs uh, in there ready for the descent. Yeah. So, yeah. Um, yeah, no, feeling good. good. So we're kind of talking about, I suppose, I mean, obviously the bulk of the training's been done now, so it's not like we can advise people on the training. 
but we can advise them on things to be doing in the last week, common mistakes, an approach to the race, can't we? The strategy for the race. So, um, so we've been thinking about this this week. Uh, uh, Mike, what kind of things have you been, uh, common questions that you get or things that you've been considering? Yeah, a lot of the time it's, it's, you hear from the people whose preparation hasn't gone as well as they wanted to. So it's a lot of sort of nerves, fear, uh, panic almost. And, and a lot of the advice I'm giving athletes is, is to stop doing things they think they should be doing and to focus on other things. And, and ultimately the line in the sand that I tend to, um, to speak to people is, is, concentrate more on the non-physical things and less on the physical things as you've already sort of alluded to so um so the the, the list that i've got to choose from as we go through is, is is a bit of a mix of the things you can do now ready to get ready for your race but also a couple of things that are probably things to start thinking about for the race tactically strategically more than what we need you physically to do in the in the next seven to ten days yeah. So do you want to give us some examples? Yeah, like the, fir the first one, um, we've chatted about it when we've done other events and other things, is planning out a chunky race is, is, yeah. is a big thing. I'm, I'm, I sit down a lot of time with some of my athletes who are doing um, difficult terrain races, and we look at the course profile and we really sort of chunk it down into – this, you know, effectively for this, we might be looking at uh, 10, 10 mile runs and we're breaking it into 10 segments. So we're looking at checkpoint to checkpoint. And and I think, you know, it it's not necessarily that your plan will always go to plan. It's not that that will happen, but it's that you at least expect the unexpected, are slightly prepared for it. And when you're fatigued and tired and you have to make those decisions in the race, you not looking at a blank canvas of what my answers or solutions are. It's very much, a, okay, I thought this could happen. This is what I'm going to do. Or we thought this would happen in a positive or a negative way, and here's our options to, to go from. It doesn't need to be detailed and written down in any sort of formal plan, but just a rough strategy of, you know, maybe start slow, build up. At this point, I'm going to slow back down. Where's my feeding going to be? Those type of approaches, I think, are, really worth doing this week when you're not so much worried about going out and physically preparing for the race. So that would be my number one tip for people in the week building up to the race. A lot of people have done this already, of course. A lot of people have already got these plans. If you have, review them, revise them as, as the training that you've been doing, whether it's gone well or, or less well than you wanted it to, has that now changed or affected what your initial thoughts were? Yeah, yeah. Couple of things there for, for, for you, Ian. So yeah. when Mike's talking about that kind of chunking it and breaking it down by checkpoint by checkpoint. So 14 checkpoints at Lakeland. First of all, is that something that that you're that you've done in your previous nine successful attempts at the Lakeland hundred? Is that something you've done check by checkpoint by checkpoint? And also something else Mike mentioned there was that, you know, having those plans in your mind for for dealing with, okay, if this goes right, if this goes wrong, that's also something we've talked about in the past as well, isn't it? Uh, in terms of the chunking, very much uh, I, I was nodding as, as Mike was saying that. So I think you can look at that in two ways. So you can look at it in the race overall, overall and, and, and chunking uh, the race itself. Um, and for me, th there's some quite clear uh, markers where I would break that down. So I'll break it down into four. Uh, you've got Coniston through to Braceway. Um, so the race starts, this is obviously um, 100 focus rather than 50, but then the last two. Um, applied to 50 as well. But Coniston to Braceway is a very tough section. There's a lot of climbing uh, and also um, a lot of it is in the in the dark as well. But it's, um, yeah, you, you get a lot of climbing through that section and, so, and some of the rougher ground of the full race. Um, so I think it's, you know, probably making sure you've got quite realistic um, aims in terms you know, if you are thinking about time, um, plans then making sure you've got realistic and, and, and ones that are probably considerably under what your overall race um, targets are for, for pacing across that section. But I always think that, you know, for me, when I get past that section, I can then think about the next section. So Braithwaite to Dale Main is the next one I break up. That's a, there's much more runnable sections in that. So, you know, making sure that you don't 
got crazy through that first section allows you to take advantage of some of those more runnable sections um, from Braceway through to Dillmain. <coughs> Dillmain's an obvious one anyway because it's a drop bag as well. So that often is one where people see that as an important uh, point to get to and, and, and restarting again. And obviously you can refresh things in terms of your kit and nutrition. Um, and then Dillmain through to Ambleside because, again, it then becomes sort of not not the beginning to Town, but after that, three very tough sections where you get a lot of climbing. Um, so I think it's really important to sort of stay focused on that section and, and, and focus on getting through to Ambleside and getting through those tough sections. And actually those three, if you think about them, they get progressively easier. So although all three of them have significant climbs in them, um, the, the, the one from Harrowtown to, to Mardale Head is the toughest of them all. Then to, to Kentmere is um, not as tough as uh, the one to Mardale Head, but tougher than the one to, to Ambleside. Um, so you can start ticking them off and thinking, yeah, the next one, it does have climbs in it, but it's not as tough as what I've already done. So you can start ticking those off. And, you know, the stats on people that get past Ambleside are very um, positive. So I think you know, when I've done this calculation in the past, it's something like, 97, 98% of people that get past Ambleside complete. Generally, only significant injuries that stop people once they get past Ambleside. So they, uh, and I think that's an important sort of psychological anchor for people as well. If you think about that, it's not generally that people get more and more tired as the race. Yeah, obviously, you are getting more tired, but it's not like there's just this physiological battery that, you know, you get, you get, you feel more and more tired. You do feel better again. You do. Um, start that you can start to come out of bad patches because people drop early and more for psychological reasons, not for physical reasons. Because once you do get ambled through Ambleside, people finish. Um, and then obviously, Ambleside to Coniston, if you have got something still in the tank, run very runnable sections again in there if you can save something for that. And it is flatter, but it's also something to, to look forward to as well in terms of when you're on those earlier tough sections. So, they're definitely the four big chunks that I would do. but and I won't go into the detail of each of these, but this is something that people can do with the extra time they've got in the next week is to think about how you break down individual legs, particularly the longer ones. Um, so an example of that is um, uh, from, uh, you know, if you take uh, one of the longer legs, you could break it down into three sections within that. Um, so there might be clear points within that section where you'll... Um, you know, say, say from Dockray through to Delmaine, it's over 10 miles, quite a lot of it's on the road, so it's not as as long as you might think, but it's, it's a lot of distance. So you could break that down into um, when you get through to uh, Falls, uh, from there until you hit the road section, and then the final road section has been the third chunk. Breaking it down in that way again is sort of you're picking it up in your mind and you're making progress. But you're also focusing yourself on the area now and on that section that you're on at the time. So that's something you could think about for all of the legs and how you might break them down, especially if you've run the race before. Yeah. Um, in terms of the you know, planning for things going wrong, that was that was one of the things that I was going to mention in my sort of top three things to think about. Um, you know, I would definitely encourage people to have a plan for the race, but it has to be a flexible plan um, because you know things will uh, inevitably. You know, not go according to plan. I was going to say go wrong there, but um, the things go as they go, and you have to respond to them and be ready for that. Um, having some plans and how you're going to respond to that. So, the classic one is the nutrition issue. You know, if you have a period of uh, problems with nutrition, what are you going to do in that situation? Uh, and, and and this is a general point I would make is, you know, try to work out what's caused the issue. So, it, uh, quite often with nutrition, it can be about you know, your fluid intake, or it could be salt balance. You know, think about what you've taken in, you know, how you've been drinking, whether you, and also what you what you craving. So are you craving something salty? Um, are you feeling thirsty? Think about what might be causing the stomach issues, and then try to um, resolve them. Uh, and that's something you can do for all problems that you come across. Trying to work out what's caused the problem, and then trying to resolve it. Not only gives you the chance of overcoming that problem, but psychologically allows you to take some control as well because you're doing something positive rather than sort of getting into this negative spiral. Mm. So yeah, you can have those plans ready 
in advance what you would do in a certain circumstance. Yeah, yeah. Mike, just listening to that, anything else you want to add? No, I, th- I think I think um, that's all the stuff that I would um, I would be reiterating myself. I just, you know, it's it, it's it's okay if things don't go to plan. In in the rare occasion, sometimes we maybe underestimate our ability. We set really conservative plans, and they can improve for a positive. But normally, we need to adjust them because things are tougher than we think. So um, so that whole overarching mindset of it's okay, it's no big deal. You know, I used to have a friend who uh, swam lots of channels, channel swimming, sorry, open water swimming over long distances, and always knew that you know these bad times were coming. And she had given them a nickname. She called, you know, hello, darkness, my old friend type of conversation so that she she just knew, OK, cool. Then, you know, I've been expecting you type of thing. Um, and now it's not, a, oh, God, the Grim Reaper's here. That's the beginning of the end. It's OK, cool. Brilliant. You're here. I know you're here. I knew I'd have to have a chat with you at some point. Here's the, here's the plans I had to, to have this conversation with you when I just move forward. So um, I think sometimes the... The difficult times happen is if those conversations happen earlier than you expect them to. Mm-hmm. So if if they kick in at a period in the race because you weren't anticipating them, and that that's often the bit where where people struggle with. So um, so yeah, just just you know st- stay as calm as you can for want of um, a better phrase. But um, but we've all been there. The person who wins and the person who finishes last will all be having the same experiences throughout the race to lesser or or bigger degrees so um so just just understand that that's, that's a that part and parcel of of running 100 miles yeah yeah i mean the, the two things you've just said there actually which i think are probably worth uh elaborating on the two things that i'm hearing the first of all is that having those um uh having that flexibility having the plan to change because it's funny as the organizer one of the most common things i would hear from people is when they drop out is the term God, I didn't expect it to be like that. And I would hear that time and time again. So you've got this people going into an event, expecting it to be, a, you know, expecting a certain thing to happen. So in their heads, they see themselves as running most of it or getting round, smiling and no problems at all. And then after 15, 20 miles, they're absolutely in pieces. And, and the idea that they had in their head, the picture they had in their head doesn't match reality. And they really struggle with that concept of, but I thought it would be like this, when a matter of fact, it's actually like this. And because they'd never considered that it might go wrong, they'd never considered that it might be that difficult, they're really struggling to get their heads around it. So I suppose, you know, we've talked a bit about this before, and um, these kind of coping strategies of having these plan A, plan B, plan C, if these things happen, how do you deal with them? But then the other thing you just mentioned there about people having those kind of conversations with themselves much earlier on than they'd anticipated. And I guess people have like as much as your physical reserve, you have a psychological reserve, don't you? So if you're if you're racing a marathon and you get to the last four miles and you're absolutely fighting it and you want to walk, there's only four miles to go. So you can probably just suck it up and crack on. But if it happens at three miles and you've got 23 miles to go, then that's a different thing because you can only suck it up for so long before you just give up. You know, so um, so just on that on that first bit, Ian, do you want to maybe just talk a little bit more about that, that idea of. You know, expecting things to go wrong, I suppose, in advance and having that, you know, that toolkit there to deal with them. Yeah, I think, that, you know, um, <clears throat> forehand is forewarned, I think is the saying, isn't it? And um, it relates back to what I was saying about that chunking as well. I think part of the part of what explains the high number of you know people who don't complete the late 100 is the course kind of sets you up for some of these psychological issues so that section i mentioned coniston through to braithwaite you know there's a lot of climbing there's a lot of rough ground you're experiencing it during the night um it's amazing you see people at checkpoints in the early checkpoints and you see people's mood and how you know lively everyone is and without fail Every time you come into Britain, well, you start to see a little bit of butter here, so people sat on the side of the road, not quite so lively. But without fail, you walk into the Braceway checkpoint and there's people with heads on the tables because all of a sudden it's just hit them. You know, uh, you know where they're at in the race, how tired they're feeling, and how far they have still got to go. 
Um, and and if it's the number one thing that you keep in your mind throughout the race, it's that how I feel now does not tell me how I'll feel later. Um, one of the best examples of this that I, you know, I often like to come back to, um, and, and this is someone who I think he's, been, he's definitely got a slate. I don't know if he's done it since, but a guy you, you'll know, Matt, Nick Ham, um, who has done the race at least five times, I think, but uh, I remember him getting his slate. But um, I remember coming across Nick um, somewhere around about uh, Blencathra, uh, uh, and he wasn't feeling good. And I, then I saw him again on the, on the coach road, and he was, uh, I, I was sort of trying to encourage him, and he said, no, that's it. He said, I'm going to drop um, at, at Dock Race. It's too far to go. I feel too bad. I'm, I'm having stomach issues. Can't keep any food down at all. Um, and I don't know if he got this right or whether the the, uh, the person at the checkpoint was um, uh, was t- was being honest at this point, but um, I, or maybe this has changed. But I saw him after the race, and when he got to Dockray, they said, "Oh, there's no collection from here. You can't drop out of Dockray. You'll have to carry on to Del Main." Uh, and between Dockray and Del Main, he started to pick up, uh, and he felt it feeling better. Uh, and he ended up finishing. I saw him back at Coniston. Uh, and he actually ran a PB as well. So I, I, he probably might have run faster since. That was probably his third completion. But he was all—he was ready to go. He was ready to drop. Uh, and the fact that he had to continue, he then pulled himself around. And I think that's one for you know for everyone to keep in mind that you know how I'm feeling right now is not pretty. So you should expect to feel very tired. You know, at, at a low point somewhere around Braithwaite and between Blancatra, you often come across a lot of people that. You know, very low, low mood state at that point. Um, and you should anticipate that based on, you know, look at the profile of the race uh, and you'll see the same Mardell heading around there and those sections. I think in the mind, people are ready for this battle around 70 to 80 miles, you know, you know that sort of tough section where you would think about the sort of 16 to 20 miles in a marathon you know, and getting through that point. But actually, a lot of the biggest battles come much earlier, and you've got to anticipate them and be, be ready for them, um, because you will come through. You can come through them, but it's, it's psychologically you can get through them. Like keep doing all the right things in terms of keeping yourself going physically and physiologically, but it's the, the psychological battle, and because of the way the course is set up, they come much earlier than you expect. Yeah, yeah. Mike, mood state. I think we've uh, established that maybe it's quite important then. Yeah, I think so. I, th- I think um, I'm a big fan of the phrase muscles can't think. Mm. So, so, you know, yes, physiology plays a part and sometimes is a limiting factor. But a lot of the time that's easier to control for many than the psychological state and the mood state and um, and being able. And it's not a case of we're not asking people to... Um, become experts in managing their, their, their mental approach. It's almost just having an appreciation and an awareness that this is what's going on and it's okay that it's going on and I know I'll get through it, as Ian said, and I know I'll be okay with it. And it's it's cup half full, cup half empty sometimes. Oh, my God, I've got 60 miles to go versus, cool, I've done 40, I'm nearly halfway there. And, yeah. and it's a, a fundamental difference in thinking. And you, we all know those people who are just – positivity bunnies and just have that outlook and that mindset and then you know we're quite envious of a lot of people I naturally as, as a case study I'm a cup half empty guy I can be a proper pessimist even on my best day everything is against me in a race but uh, because I'm now much better at just understand that's me I would probably stress more in a race if I wasn't starting getting grumpy because I'd be like, what, what, what's going on here? Why aren't, um, why aren't I feeling as grumpy as I normally feel? So yeah. it's just understanding it. And again, sometimes you can have strategies for that mindset. If you've got crews and support crews and families and friends that are going to be out on route somewhere cheering you on, then you know certainly my nearest and dearest know me and they know how to deal with me when I'm grumpy and they know which bits of a race I might be grumpy. And and you know I always remember um, one of the a major race I did, uh, the, our first son was months old and I was, I'd committed to this race a long time in advance and I was really stressed about being in the race away from him when he was only a couple of weeks weeks old. So what happens? She turns up with him. 
So all of a sudden now, as I'm in one of my dark periods, I'm running along, I get to a checkpoint and I'm surprised by the wife and, and my son. And, and oh, just spirits just lifted exponentially from there till the end. All of a sudden, I had this physical reminder in front of me of why I'm here, what I'm doing it for, what my inspiration is, and, and picked me up and I, and I was fine again. So um, if you've got people around you that you know are going to be there or or whatever, then... Um, you know, get that get those systems in place to deal with the mood and the way the mood might change through the race. Yeah, yeah. Me and Ian have noticed that about you, to be honest. That's why we have to let you in tweets of the week. It's just, you yeah. know, be a nightmare if you don't. Exactly, exactly. But again, that's good good awareness from you guys, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's all good awareness, all good awareness. But it is very true. You, you use that term, that kind of, oh, the positivity bunnies or whatever. I've noticed, again, someone put a comment the other day on the Facebook page and just interesting comment about, you know, that, you know, these events aren't fun. They're just hard and they're difficult. And maybe the memories later on are fun or you're fond of the memories, but they're not fun. And I don't know whether they're just kind of putting it on when they go to the checkpoints or not, but I've noticed with a lot of the top runners that when they come into the checkpoints, they're so upbeat and they seem to be enjoying themselves so much and they're always smiling and they're always chatting and you know we talk about this interaction between a positive mood state and your physical performance and obviously as you get tired physically get tired I'm sure your mood deteriorates you know the two things are linked but you know the difference being with people with a head on the table just thinking I've had enough and I don't want to go any further whereas the longer the, the, the top they're all very very positive and smiley and chatty and it's like they're having a big day out now i don't know if that's because they're so physically fit that they can get to 60 70 miles and they're still not tired and because of that they're happy or whether in fact it's the other way around and it is that positivity what's your thoughts on that ian yeah i i, I interesting what mike was saying in terms of um you know knowing his usual his normal mood state and i think that's an important one to sort of keep in mind is that recognizing that everyone's different in terms of what their normal level uh, you know uh, normal mood states are so some people are obviously very much you know often at a very sort of uh, very happy very positive mood state and other people are more sort of in the middle but i think what's most important for everyone is that you level try and level it out as, as much as possible from whatever your normal is uh, what you don't want too much is uh, fluctuations in mood state. So, uh, you know, because it, a, a real high can often be followed by a, a real low as well. Um, so it's thinking about strategies, um, but also anticipating when something might give you a real high that you probably are going to feel, so, like seeing the family and so on. Uh, getting to Dale Main, quite often, you know, there are real highs and important points for people, but they can often bring a low, a low mode there afterwards because, uh, or you, you maybe ride on a high for a little while. Depends where they come in the race, but if it's, you know, sort of midway through the race, you see the family, probably going to feel quite high, but you might feel a little bit low afterwards because you recognize it might be another 20 or 30 miles before you see them again. So it's just about anticipating that and that helps sort of level it out so that you're just sort of trying to smooth out. So you, you, your mood state is fluctuating around whatever your normal is rather than um, having massive highs and, uh, and massive lows because it's, you know, both of those can be quite um, fatiguing, but especially the, uh, the, the big lows. Well, what I would add on, um, on, on the positivity bunny side of it, um, I see it whenever I see it, wherever, regardless of age, ability, finishing position. It's bigger picture thinking that makes most people more positive. It's the I'm really happy and lucky that I know I'm physically able to enjoy walking or running for 20 hours or being able to just have the, the physical and mental capacity to enjoy this type of event. I see it spread through the field with that same trend in attitude rather than um than it being a front of the pack attitude or a or a back of the pack, you know, pack attitude. But um, Mark looks like he's frozen a bit there. So we should we? Um, yeah. should, is he there? Are you there, Mark? I'm still here. I'm not oh. frozen. Not, your pictures. Your, your pictures frozen. Can you hear Mark. me? Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. Um, just sat still. 
<laughs> cool. I've got another um, another important one, I think, which is 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 often overlooked and can be the cause of of um, problems for a lot of people, and that is particularly in around foot care, but any sort of of problem going on in the race. Um, make sure you deal with these problems early. Too many people will start to feel that little hot spot in the foot, that little bit of rubbing, and they'll think, oh, I'll get to the next checkpoint or I'll I'll push through until it's a bigger problem. And ultimately, when it is a bigger problem, it's too late to do much about. So, um, so you know, don't jeopardise the latter stages of the event or the, the chances of success by not stopping early, nipping things in the bud. And what you can do, that, that's something obviously to think about in the race, but what you can do now this week, if that's something you are worried about, is spend a little time looking out to deal with some of the simple common problems. There's plenty of um, of, of things out there online to show people. If, um, if anyone's listening to this and they wanted specific advice, they're always welcome to get in touch with me and we can do a little video call this week to show some simple strategies that we use with with foot care and things like that. But um, but don't overlook that stuff pre-race or in-race. That's a big one. I see uh, you've done all the training. The mindset's really good. Everything's fine. And then you're riddled with a blister that wipes you out at halfway. I agree. And I think there's a broader point there as well. That. How was that, Matt? I'm just going to say, I'm just... I was just going to make a comment on that, but you can go ahead. Yeah, I was just going to say that sort of broader point around sort of that. You know, I, I, one of my points that I had was in terms of having a, a plan, a flexible plan, obviously. But um, you know, setting process goals for the race, people often think about setting process goals in terms of sort of nutrition and having a plan. I've seen a few of those on uh, on Facebook this week. People are planning for the for the hundred uh, pacing. People might have you know, a, a plan in terms of pacing. But self-care is often one that people don't necessarily have as part of that. But I think, you know, uh, it, looking after yourself and, and your body, uh, particularly in terms of your feet, um, it, it are important parts of your process goal. So it might be about, you know, what point you change socks. Uh, it might be about, you know, how you do respond if you start getting a, a hotspot, as Mike mentioned. But have that as part of your plan. And when it's part of your plan, people are more likely to do it. Um, what people are often resistant to doing is, especially if the time focus, because I don't want to spend time on this because it'll cost me time, but as if it's part of your planning uh, and that you have a, you know, if this happens, this is what I'm going to, how I'm going to respond. So if I start getting a hotspot on my foot, then I'm going to stop and put, uh, a, you know, a, a compede or some taping, uh, taping on it, um, then that's part of your plan, you're more likely to do it. But I think the preparation and, and having a plan for how you prepare your feet is uh, critically important. It's been a massive changer for me. I take my feet now, I've done for about the last four or five years, and uh, my enjoyment of the race has changed markedly because of that. I read, there's a really good book, uh, entire book on foot care. can't remember the author now, might might know. There's, there's a more recent edition of it than the one I got, but reading that sort of changed my approach to... Um, the foot preparation and certainly a massive change for me in terms of the enjoyment of the race um, because suffering with your feet is um, is not something you want to add to the list um, of the difficulties. Is, is that Fixing Your Feet by Von yeah. Hoff? Yeah, that's the one, yeah. Yeah, good yeah. book, great book. Yeah, it's re really, really good. Um, definite recommendation. I mean, people probably haven't got time to, to read all of that, but there's some important chapters in there that are about preparing your feet for the an actual ultra race you've probably still got time to read that and i definitely recommend it yeah and i guess i mean that's that's the kind of thing that that stops people like you say so silly things like foot care or the packs rubbing the skin off the shoulders or off the lower back or something like that and all those kind of things it's the uh the things i suppose people least exercise isn't it to stop them but that um you know taking some time to look after your feet and and you're saying that Mike pointed out that when you know people get a little bit of a hot spot and they just keep going and going because it's not that bad, but it's never going to get better and it's never going to get go away. It's only going to ever get worse. But you could apply that to so many things, couldn't you? Because you you know people only drinking when they feel dehydrated, only fueling when they feel that if you know when they feel like they're uh, got low blood sugar, you know only fixing the feet when the blister is nearly about to burst. 
those kind of things, because like you say, they don't want to lose time, do they? They just want to push on and push on. And it is really playing that long game. It's checking in with yourself. You know, is anything rubbing? Is anything hurting? Have you drank enough? Have you eaten enough? How do you feel psychologically? And looking at, you know, looking after all, because I think with the mood state, even that, you know, you can fix some of those things just by buddying up with people. If you're on your own, you're probably going to feel a lot more miserable in the dark than you are if you're with someone else. So, you know, buddy up with someone and uh, make sure they want you to, first of all, you know, because they might like being on their own. But yeah, just checking in on yourself all the time. But, um, I mean, we, we're one week away now, so I think it's probably worth uh, my, we had a podcast a couple of weeks ago and we talked about, we, I think we do now in UK, weren't we? And we talked about tapering. Do you want to just have a, a quick summary just to cover this final week? What kind of things should people not be doing? Where should their focus be just for this next seven days? Yeah, of course. Yeah. And, and definitely for a, a deeper dive into that, do listen to that last podcast. But um, but in summary, with a week to go, you're not really going to gain anything by um, continuing to try and load training. If you're trying to catch up any missed sessions or have a confidence booster session because you missed certain things in build up, then again, it's, it's just not worth it. The, the risk and reward is 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 not there for you. Um, but realistically, what most people do is is they tend to drop volume more than intensity. Um, for most of us, potentially in, in this type of race, it's it's not so much that we're looking at high intensity work anyway. So so potentially you'll drop a bit of volume and intensity depending on what you're doing. Um, what you really want to be doing is preparing for that race. So most people are going to be fatigued in that race. They're going to have some sleep deprivation. So maybe this week with a bit of reduced running, you're thinking about banking some extra sleep, getting a little bit of credit in the bank. We see some research to show that you can definitely do that. You can stockpile some sleep and it affects you less than when you when you are deprived in the race. Um, don't be so worried about the carb load inside of it. We're coming away from that. If you've naturally dropped your training volume and intensity and you're continuing to eat normal in inverted commas diet then by default you'll be putting a bit of extra glycogen into the liver and the muscles um what i would say if anyone's out there who is a fan of that pasta party type approach and, and having those big carb type type approaches then try to do it maybe a couple of days before the race the traditional night before the start when everybody just goes and gets into cold sweats because they're eating so much carbs, that's probably not the best thing for you. Load it up two or three days before and then cut back down over, over the day before. You'll feel better on the start line. But um, but really, just just understand that there's there's far more to be lost than to be gained trying to force things at this stage. What, what you're, you're nearly always better prepared than you think you are. And, it, and it's just a case of trusting that process now with, with seven, eight days to go. Yeah, I think it's, it's yeah. isn't it? Yeah. Uh, Ian, anything? Yeah, uh, just just that. It, you, know, you can't really do anything at this point that's going to make you fitter. That's the thing to remember. But you you can do things that are going to undermine your race. And I think what you know, we talked about tapering for the Ironman, and you think about tapering for a marathon. You are still trying to maintain some of that sort of high end speed and that sort of physiological physiological preparation, sort of the higher intensity. This has probably been less of the focus for the program for, for a program for a hundred miler, um, and you know it's not worth the risk of trying to do a bit of high intensity so to try and keep that really high end fitness. Really, it's about making sure you're fresh. Um, and so, if you have an additional rest day, you know, in this final week, then you would say uh, in the build up to a marathon, I think that's probably a good thing, making sure that you're um, you know you're fully rested and, and that you. Uh, you recovered going in and that you're feeling fresh and that that extra sleep thing is, is definitely one to try and do if you can uh, if, if you're a good sleeper yeah and I'm, as the organizer i'm going to throw in read the race notes and read all the information as well because that's <laughs> you know people just turning up and not read the notes and not check the information and just making the day a lot more stressful than it needs to be you know, sat in a traffic jam because they put the wrong time or and, and the road's closed or whatever it may be. You know, those kind of things. They turn up in the wrong frame of mind, turn up kind of stressed and angry and hot because they've been, you know, they've been waiting or whatever it may be. So so if, I, I would say that as well, you know, use that time when you're not training 
to have a look at all the information, read through everything, ask questions if you need to ask questions, then you turn up and you're not stressed and you're happy and make the, make the weekend as, in, as enjoyable as possible. And I guess, you know, that, that the psychology point that we're making here as well is that you can prepare psychologically. So as well as a physical side, well, you can't do anything physically really now, like we've said, you're just tapering down. But I think for a lot of people, maybe just that, putting themselves in the right mindset and just asking those simple questions, you know, what, what do I want from the event? You know, what, how, how do I want to feel? Am I there just to enjoy it? Am I there to get a decent time? But putting themselves in the right mindset, it's, it's amazing how many emails we start to get now. And you'll see the comments on the Facebook page from people who just decided that, oh, I don't think I've done enough training, so I'm just, and it, whatever's causing the anxiety, we get a lot of people messaging now saying that they that they're not going to turn up, they're not going to take part. Maybe training's not gone slightly as well as they thought. And those people can definitely get round the course. They can definitely get round the course. But whatever it is, something's making them anxious, making them nervous, and they just don't want to come and face it, and they don't want to want to do the event. And it frustrates me because I think you just take the pressure off yourself. Just come and enjoy it. You'll get round. You'll be absolutely fine. But it's a really difficult to have with people. So, yeah, just putting themselves in that right mental frame of mind. Um, I don't know what your thoughts are on that, Ian. Yeah, well, a couple of things in there. So one thing I've written down here is sort of race the race that you can uh, and not the one that you, you wanted to when you started your training. So try and evaluate how your training's gone and where you're actually at now. Hopefully some of you training in the build-up will give you an indicator of that so you know where you're at. Plan for that race. You know, obviously, a target, it still needs to be set, but it needs to be an a target based on where you think you're at now uh, uh, and base that around that. I think another one from what you said there, Mark, in terms of, you know, what we want to be doing in this week leading in is removing as many of those stresses uh, as you can. So, you know, this weekend, most people, you would assume, will have some time over this weekend, but then they might go back to work Monday to Wednesday, Monday to Thursday, before, you know, hopefully having the Friday off to, to head to the race. Um, use this weekend, you know, lay out all your kit, make sure you've got everything you need, all your nutrition that you've got, uh, check it against your plan. Check the compulsory kit from the website, make sure that you've got all of that, anything that you're going to want in your drop bag, make sure that you've got all of that and it's all there. If you need to order anything, you've probably still got time and if you haven't, you can order it to the endurance store and have it there for collection when you get there but removing all those stresses and then planning for the day so that you're arriving in good time and everything because the it's a stressful enough day anyway so that because of the six o'clock start time people can be quite anxious by that at six o'clock you've got all day to think about it so removing as many of those other potential stresses that could crop up uh, in advance is definitely something that i would recommend and this weekend coming up is the time to do that Yeah, yeah. I do, I do find it fascinating with you. I think if you took most of the runners to one side and said to them, right, here's a sheet of paper. I want you to write on this sheet of paper. Why did you start trail running? What do you love about trail running? I think people would probably write some very stereotypical answers, such as outdoors, camaraderie, you know, being in nature. And all those kind of things, you know, the exhilaration of being outside, challenging, and yet maybe race weekend. And it's something to do with the event that suddenly creates this anxiety that suddenly people want to sh and, and don't want to turn up. And I don't know if that's pressure that they put on themselves. So are they putting on that pressure on themselves to perform? Or is it the Strava era where they learn what other people are going to think about their performances? You know, there's just this unnecessary stress that people put on themselves and they seem unable just to go back to the basic core values and say, I'm just here. I said I was here to challenge myself and to meet new people and to run in beautiful scenery. But yeah, yeah, they just put these set of pressures on themselves. What's your thoughts on that, Mike? You, honestly, the two things I'd written down here, which you both covered there was number one, remember your why. Why are you doing this? Are you, you might be doing it for charity. You might be doing it to inspire your kids. You might be doing it because you're on a, a weight loss or a fitness journey. And this is one step in that process for you. 
when we get involved in races, when races become close and we get involved in Facebook groups and other things, it's really easy to lose sight of that. And I'm a big fan of writing things on your arm, putting little messages on yourself somewhere in the race to just bring you back to that that focus. Um, and then I, I also noted down in line with what Ian was saying as far as pack, unpack, repack, plan your journeys. You may have travelled to um, this race multiple times, but maybe there's a traffic, maybe there's traffic works going on. Maybe some roads are shut. What time can you check in the hotel? Are you camping? Whatever your approach may be, just spend some time planning it and making sure you know what's going on because they're the unknown factors that end up being the spanner in the works. Then you don't get to sleep the night before the race that you wanted. Then you're worrying because you're trying to find some energy gels because you forgot to put enough in. Your lace has snapped in your shoe and you never realised it. And now you're trying to track a lace down. And they're all the unknowns, unwanted stresses that that we can absolutely avoid by just realising the race sort of starts now, not in, in eight days. Yeah, uh, absolutely. And I think, yeah, yeah. Mike mentioned now in terms of Facebook groups, and I think the very public nature of the race probably has a part to do, you know, people feeling very anxious at this point because people might have stayed, you know, quite big goals in the past. They also know that, you know, people are going to know how they've done. It can be tracked during the race. Um, uh, so, you know, nothing's hidden. And it's obviously a very big event. So there's this perception that a lot of eyes are on the event. But I think it's recognising that actually you don't, People probably don't appreciate how much credit they will get just for completing the race. Um, I mentioned earlier, you know, often 40, only sort of 40 to 50% finished. So if, you, if training hasn't gone perfectly and you're not in PV shape, there's no reason why you shouldn't still turn up. If you think you're in shape to complete and you haven't got any injury concerns, then then I would say definitely turn up. Because the other thing, what you can do is, as well as take the pressure off yourself, you can test things out in those races where you wouldn't necessarily test those out in a race where you know, if you feel as though training's gone perfectly, you'll probably go with a very similar plan to what you've used in the past because you don't want to deviate from that too much and take a risk. You know, if, if things haven't gone well um, or, or haven't gone perfectly, then maybe you can set off really slow. Uh, you know, I had real feet, real problems with my feet the second time I did it, um, and then. Two weeks out, I did a, a race in the mountains and had real problems with my feet. So what I, I actually walked the, the long descent into Seathwork. And I think I was in about second to last place or something going into Seathwork. And I ended up running it in under 30 hours, the race. So you'll surprise yourself in you know, how easy you can go early on uh, and still finish in a good time. But you can kind of test those things out when things haven't gone perfectly because you are putting the pressure on to go for a PB. But they're, things, they're lessons that you can learn and then take forward into a situation in the future when maybe things have gone better in training. So you've still got an opportunity to learn so much from the event going in, even if your training hasn't gone perfectly. Yeah, yeah. I think there probably is that whole social media strive or whatever it is that effect and puts a bit more pressure on people and things are a bit more visible. Times are more visible and part of a community and they see that other people are, are, are you know doing faster times but it, I think you know our sports people and I've fallen foul myself to this quite a few times I think it's it's kind of quite sad if you get to that point where if you know you're not quite as fit as you wanted to be but you can still get round that we don't just have that ability just to go do you know what I'm just going to go I'm just going to enjoy it walk it jump inside within the time limit and just complete it and enjoy it and being able to relax and go and do that without worrying about, but what will people think? Because last year I did this time or, you know, my friends expected me to be able to get around in this time. And just be able to let that go and just go, you know, there's no pressure on me. I can just go and enjoy it. You know, I think that's, um, I know a few people who are very capable of doing that and I'm quite envious of them um, because I think I'm, I've stuck myself in the past, you know, but uh yeah, so well, seven days to go then, Ian. So um, uh, you're um, going for your tenth, did we say? Tenth, yeah. Tenth completion out of ten starts, hopefully. Yeah. Jeez, right. Well, there's no, there's no special piece of slide for ten. 
Um, so, it, uh, Mike, is there uh, anything else that you wanted to add to, to the podcast today? Anything else that, you would, that we've not covered that you think is a vital thing you wanted to say to people? I, I, the last thing I'd say, I'd say to everyone in, in a big race like this is um, unless you're aiming for a podium, start slow, build confidence, build into the race. It's a bloody long way. And when the gun goes and we all have a momentum and adrenaline and we're all really up for it and excited, we can quite easily end up way ahead of what our anticipated pacing is. And it, again, can cause problems later on. So um, so just understand that, you know, again, similar as we've said with some of the other things with, with tapering, first five or 10 miles of this race, for, for most, it won't make our race, but it can absolutely break our race if we if we get it wrong. So um, start slow, take in, take in the experience, enjoy it. You know, lots of people, no more than, than yourself, Mark, have put a ton of work and preparation in for you to enjoy this event. So, um, so go and enjoy it. Yeah, yeah. I always just say that uh, race day makes intelligent people do very stupid things. We just throw plans out of the window. What's the old saying? If it feels too fast, it's too fast. If it feels right, it's too fast. It's too easy. It's probably right. Uh, Ian, anything for you? Yeah, well, I mean, we've covered most of the things that I down, but actually, this is very similar to um, uh, to what Mike said. But I just wanted to pick up on a couple of other points. My, my last remaining thing was the headline is "Don't go off too fast." And um, yeah, touching upon what you said there, Mark, um, it is so difficult to perceive how easy you should be going early in the race. You probably can't trust. Um, your perceived rate of exertion until you're sort of somewhere near Wasdale Head. Um, certainly, boo, anything before that, you know, don't trust how you're feeling because you just can't judge how easy you should be going at that point. So you probably need to think about some sort of physiological matter. You can use heart rate. So I wouldn't recommend trying to run to a heart rate zone for the entire race because what you'll find is that you know, once you get beyond breath weight, your heart rate is probably quite suppressed just because of the work that you've done. So you might not anticipate that, but often you see quite a low heart rate and you'll find it hard to bring it up to normal uh, levels. But early in the race, it can be a very good indicator in terms of you're overdoing things. So you know, you know from your own uh, heart rate, if you train with heart rate, what is it? Uh, anything that takes your heart rate into what would be your normal training zone, you're probably working too hard and you need to back off. And you really can't go uh, too easy early on. But your breathing rate is the other one as well. And obviously, I don't know what other people's heart rates are, but on the early climb, um, on the Walnut Scar Road and so on, and even sort of before that, as you're coming out of Coniston, it starts to climb on the road. You can just hear from people breathing that they're going way too hard. Um, and it's just the excitement of the race. And yeah, you can do a lot of damage. Um, so just back off, take it easy. Yeah, you might get held up at the old gate and so on. It might two or three minutes, but it's such a long race. You're going to have more than enough time to say that. Uh, every year I will talk, chat to people, sort of two, three, four legs in. Um, and you know, one of the classic questions is, you know, what, what time are you going for? And I'll say, well, you know, fastest I've done it is just outside 26 hours. And I'm on that sort of schedule at the moment. And I'll say, what time are you going for? And they'll say, well, I'm just hoping to finish. But, you know, sort of 30, if I do 35 to 37 hours, I'll be happy. So you every year without fail you're alongside people who are yeah. probably ten hours behind in, in terms of what you know their finish time might be. Um so majority of people go off too yeah. fast. Really can't go it's too easy. Yeah. Cool. So that's the main takeaway. Go off slow. Go off slow. You won't regret it later on in the race. As always, gents. Been a pleasure. We'll get Good this luck. uploaded ASAP. And uh, Ian, Ian, I will see you in uh, in Coniston next weekend. And Goodbye. Mike, I'll send you some pictures of him at 80 miles just to show you what he looks like. <laughs> yeah, brilliant. I've I've had a fun. So this year I um I'm opening a new clinic, so I did not have time to do the virtual hundred. So I thought I'll do the virtual fifty. It'll be fine. And um, 10 days in, I haven't had a chance to do any of it. I've just been doing little bits of training. 
So my plan this afternoon is I'm doing it in a one just to get it done. So um, big big run for me this afternoon. Uh, not Saturday, get it done. tomorrow. <laughs> so um, so yeah, we'll 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 Brilliant. take off the fifty and uh, and suffer in our own way down here in South Wales. Enjoy that, man. Yeah. yeah, don't go off too fast. No, no. But good luck to everyone who's racing. <laughs> have a great experience, and um, hopefully we'll have some guests on about it afterwards. Yeah, I look forward to seeing everyone there in a week's time. Yes, get some winners on. Super. Cheers, guys. Brilliant. Take care, everyone. Bye. Bye.